Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's night. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from the bridge of the NSEA protector here in 2021. I am one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us today, um, in the future, I guess, because we're recording this in 2020, but it is going to be our first episode of 2021, is Felicia Day, writer, director, actor and streamer and so many other things google or motherfuckers it's nice to see you felicia i can ask if we could swear but clearly not hey i'm never directed that's that's i'm saving that for uh, a debut did direction in a, did you, in a did, did you tell me producer producer yeah, yeah producer well you know i mean i, I, I guess I'm, i guess i've directed pretty much like hundreds of videos where i just jump cut my own face i guess that's yeah, directing right that's what i was talking about exactly All right. <laughs> So good to have you on. Thank you so much for doing this and and coming on to talk with us about Galaxy Quest. Um, it is one of kind of the the temple movies for us. Um, one of the movies that makes this year so special, and it's not really like anything else that came out this year. So uh, we're so happy to have you. Have there been a lot of Ashley Judd movies you've covered? Didn't she work a lot in '99? Well, she did Double Jeopardy. Yeah, but we was did Double Jeopardy. Else yeah. She feels think, like she's very Jeopardy prolific during that time. Yeah. I think there's something else forthcoming. I think there's something like Eye of the Beholder. Oh, yeah. Eye of the Beholder. The, uh, the Ewan McGregor. Uh, yeah. Was she, he she naked was in that one? in the early 2000s. Because I remember he Probably. was very naked in the early 2000s as well. How, 
I, I don't remember that, not uh, for any real reason. But um, I remember train spotting. You got it. You got a nice little glimpse. <laughs> <laughs> feature, feature, no, feature. <laughs> yeah, the feature filming player. debut of yeah. Mr. Wiggles. <laughs> Mr. Wiggles. Mr. Wiggles. <laughs> uh, so yes, we've, we're we're one for two in Ashley Judd, uh, and this is our second Tim Allen movie because we've already done Toy Story two. <gasps> it is. Wow, Toy Story. Our, this was a good year for movies. Oh my goodness! For movies. Yeah, yeah, it really unbelievable is unbelievable year. And and we're we're so thankful to have you on for for this one, which is a it's a it's a obviously it's a big fan favorite. It's a big movie in '99. You know, we've been doing this. Uh, for what almost over three years now, Kenny, we've been doing this, and this is one that yeah. we've held on to for a while because we wanted to, you know, make sure that we could get the best guest we could. And and you, and you're, you're really just we couldn't mm-hmm. we couldn't have asked for a better guest for this for this movie. Go um, but, on. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, just to rewind a little bit, Felicia, do you remember where you were in 1999, and if you saw this film around then? I was in college. I graduated in 2000, so that I'm, I'm aging myself, but I did mm-hmm. <laughs> graduate. But I went to school when I was 16, so I was young. So I was okay. probably, boy, I don't even know how I was, like 19? Anyway, so I um, I don't know how to add. I only got a math degree, guys. Oh, my God. Um, so <laughs> I was in college, and I took like 24 hours a semester because my mom made me live at home with her and drive me to school. So, like, okay. I didn't have a social life. So I basically played video games and did 24 hours of credits a semester. And I ended up getting, like, you know, a couple of degrees and a bunch of half degrees. So I, I don't say that, vi- like, movie consumption was not high on my list. I remember watching Friends, and that's about uh-huh. it. Mm-hmm. Where did you so, grow up? I grew up in uh, all of the South, but I went to UT uh, Austin. So nice. Austin, Texas. As so I was did really, uh, mm-hmm. past and future guest uh, Allison Akel also went to, I believe, UT, oh. Texas, UT Austin. A, we there's a lot of alumni. There's yeah. a lot of alumni in Austin. And there was a big film scene there because I got mm-hmm. into the film uh, business by volunteering at the Austin Film Festival in South by Southwest. And that's where I met a bunch of people from L.A. And I was like, I know three screenwriters. I'm going to have a huge career as an actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how yeah. it works. That's how yeah. it works. <laughs> So, so you you don't you didn't see this film around its release, but you have subsequently seen this film. I'm assuming, of course, yes. And th- but I did rewatch it for this to refresh myself. Sure. And I got sure. immersed, and I was like, "This is a really excellent movie." Like just down the line, it is well yeah. crafted in every yeah. single way. Mm-hmm. It's also just you know there are a lot of movies made about fans, you know. Mm-hmm. But this movie, I feel like the the beating heart of this movie is a love of fandom and mm-hmm. and wanting desperately to give fans the illusion or or the reality that this that the thing they love is real, that it's not just, you know, some sort of a fantasy. Um which is maybe the thing that I love most about it. I mean, 100%. Like it is it's 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 surprising because like if you look at like the secondary characters and like the extras, I feel like they did a better job at diversity in this show in this movie, like 20 <laughs> years ago, than people do nowadays. Um, so yeah, I do agree with that. And then also it's like an inside look at acting and actors in a way. Mm-hmm. So it's all this inside looks, but they were able to make inside accessible, which is really hard. And that's why, yeah, it's and great. And the great special effects. And it's just funny as hell. It's like yeah. a really good movie. 
it, it, it's a very, very good movie. It, it's also threading a lot of needles. You know, you were sort of talking about or alluding to like the metatextuality of it, the idea of these roles within roles, shows within shows, like that type of stuff can get very intellectual and can and can sort of, I don't want to say distract, but you know, you can lose an audience in that. But this movie does it so seamlessly in making sure that people are in on the joke. You know, if you know of Star Trek, this is going to work for you, but also finding layers for people that are diehard fans of it as well. Yeah, it's almost like you want this template to be every video game movie that ever wasn't. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> every there, I mean, I can't name one that's yes. good, right? Let's Absolutely. just be honest. There's not one that's good. I, we've teach done the this. I, no, there, we've done this. There was, isn't there one no, that's good? For we tried this. I think, <laughs> oh I think it might be we one that's to, good. Oh, what was uh, the one? none are good. This. None are good, none though are I good. thought Sonic was fine. Yeah, Sonic was trash enough to be fine. It was but I hate fine. Sonic anyway, so I didn't really. Yeah, he, I mean, I had wow, a per- you personal hate prejudice. Sonic. I hate Sonic is that kid who has gel what in has their he hair done to you? that punches yeah. you and smells a little bit like crust. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly who he is. He sucks. That's so specific. And he only has one. He only has one skill. He's really fast. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. He, he's tricked. To, he's tricked the gym teachers into thinking he's a great athlete, but he's really just fast. No, the one trick yeah, pony. He, I don't like Sonic very much either, but that's because I was a Nintendo kid, right? Like I always oh, saw. Yeah. I always thought he was a bit of an interloper. I was a Sega. Uh, I was a Sega kid. But but I want to ask Felicia, since we're on the subject, why do you think video game adaptations have not worked up until this point? Well, I think that uh, you know, it's I think inherently studio people don't understand anything about video games. Like nothing. Okay. The executives have literally been like, Oh, I you know, I played some Candy Crush. And my kid mm-hmm. plays, and I don't have a relationship with them because I'm a Hollywood person whose nanny raises their child. So mm-hmm. that um, that's that side. <laughs> and then the other side is that video games don't need Hollywood. So they have a lot of creative control over their product because they, frankly, will make billions more dollars on their IP. And so they're super protective of their IP. But being a gamer means you need to be really inside your hardcore fans' heads. And so they probably rest control of it too much in the opposite direction. And so you end up with this sort of like dumbed down mishmash of inside outside that nobody really cares about. I think there's, I, th- I think you're hundred percent right. Everything you said. I also think they have been given to, um, they've been ghettoized just to, to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. Where the Marvel movies are made by the top, top, top people. And they're also made by people who really understand the IP but yeah. when you look when you look at the people who make these movies, uh, and I'm not necessarily talking about the directors and the writers, but I'm talking about the the studios and the execs. They're given to the people who don't have budgets, the people who are just looking to pump to pump them out. And I think you're I think the the best point you made is that people the, the people who make them don't under, simply don't understand what the IP they're working with. Yeah. Um, on top of that, you know, video games already contain within them so much richness uh, that really good ones, I mean, that cannot be captured with a single narrative, generally. Yeah, I agree with you. And also, you know, if you look at Warcraft, like, that's a, that's a director who loves Warcraft. You mm-hmm. have a studio that kind of should have worked. And then it was probably the worst thing. I've, I mean, like, so bad. <laughs> Embarrassingly bad. And so it seemed like there were some creative decisions that were made that just were like, 
this is tanked and it's never going to get anywhere because of the, some creative decisions that look like they were made in the beginning. So mm-hmm. it, that's a sad situation where you're like, this should work. The teams all should work. So maybe I think actually doing video games, because people will be hundreds of hours in there. And then you want people to understand a hundreds of hours world with one and a half hours or two hours or however long people watch movies. I don't watch movies lately, but um, because I'm (laughs) playing too many video games. But at the end of the day, maybe TV, I think TV shows, they're going to be doing a Fallout TV show. They're doing Assassin's Creed TV show. Like that's actually might work because you have the length of time that people will equivalently be in the world. I'm hoping. They're doing a, a Halo well, show as well, or trying to do a Halo. Yeah, talk about that yeah. for 15 years. But that's the other thing. You're that's the other <laughs> the other point. Um, you can't serve both masters, even the way you can serve both masters with a with a comic book. Um, you know, Marvel spent 20 movies building us up to the Infinity Stone story that that was already written. Um, that was already you know in comic book form. But you can't do what you're talking about by like distilling hundreds of hours of of playable narrative into an hour and a half movie. Um, And you also can't take one kind of one narrative from that hundred hours, put it into movie form and please the hardcore game, hardcore fans of the game. That's what I felt like happened with Detective Pikachu. I felt like Detective Pikachu um, didn't really please anybody. I think it was... I think it was inaccessible to people who had nothing to do, who had no knowledge of the game and people who love the game and love this world thought it was for babies. Yeah. So agree. No, I didn't well, the same thing. I, Assassin's so I, Creed I have a question for you, Felicia, which I think, which terrible. I think, yep. <clears throat> Let's trash other movies. Oh no, I'm just kidding. Go, go, go. <laughs> my, my question to you is, and it, and it folds into this movie as well. Um, and I don't want to get into the toxicity of fandom because, you know, it's gone to a dark place over the past few years, mm-hmm. but I, I do want to sort of get your feelings on the differences between sort of, you know, a a Star Trek fandom or something of that ilk to video game fandom, which does feel different. Now, I don't know a ton about either of them, but I'm sort of curious as to whether or not you felt like this film sort of taps into that in in the right way. I mean, it certainly does it in in the most comedic and probably the most heartwarming way. But did you feel as though it was a accurate representation of fandom in that way? Did you feel as though and sort of how that compares to, to video games? You know, I think fandom is one of those things you can't really paint with one brush anymore. Sure. I think maybe 10 years ago, you could have this sort of cliched nerd geek kind of culture thing. And I was certainly on the forefront of that. Now, I think there's just not one kind of fan. You know, you have a lot of different aspects of all different fandoms. I mean, yes, people are hardcore Marvel fans. They're hardcore uh, Naruto fans. They're hardcore video games. Like, And because there's so much content out there, people don't necessarily have to get out of their silo. Like they are immersed in their fandoms, right? And so I think you have different different angles on each. I think, you know, the one thing that you would share a little in video games, I think, tend to be more isolated amongst themselves, perhaps, because Star Wars is more of a casual thing that you could share with casual people. I mean, if a league person tries to get me into League of Legends, I'm just glazing over and I spend twenty hours a week playing video games, you know? So like it really is more of a specialty in mm-hmm. a sense, gaming. And I do think that their own uh, communities tend to be the the, clo- the cl- more closed communities tend to be more uh, m- white male uh, isolated, and therefore you have that kind of toxicity that's particularly bad and kind of defines the internet now, unfortunately, mm-hmm. in right. a lot of ways. I think things have gotten better the next couple of years, but certainly four or five years ago, the rise of and it, and it obviously I think it rubbed off on politics too. But 
it kind of reached its peak assholeness about four or five years ago. I, do you think that there's also, and Kenny and I talked a little bit about this when we talked about video games previously, but there, there's an interactive quality to it that makes it specialized to that one person, right? Like they're going on that journey themselves. And because of that specificity, because that sort of individualism of it, they, they take an ownership of that journey, right? Like it's, it feels mm-hmm. like it's their own, um, as opposed to, you know, watching a Star Wars movie or watching a Star Trek television show where that, that story is told to you rather than you actually physically being a part of it. Does that have something to do with it as well? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think everybody, unless you are playing Mario or you're playing a character, Sonic, you are Sonic, then you're projecting yourself and your kind of custom customization of yourself into that world. Right. And like, Mm -hmm. if I were to watch an Assassin's Creed, like the lead guy is not me because I always play a woman. Right. And so that's not my Assassin's Creed. So I think, but I do think, you know, like, I think when you offer an uh, an accurate ensemble, you know, with a bunch of different perspectives, like, I think Witcher had uh, some issues, but I do think that offering the different perspectives that it did kind of covered a gamut of types of players in a way. So I think a, ni- a good ensemble, like, if you did another D&D show, which I'm sure would not be good, unfortunately, but there would be a potential to create something like that, um, where you represent a lot of different kinds of aspects of people. I did that with the guild where you have six main characters and I took a lot of archetypes that I've been encountered in my life. And I think a lot of people either saw themselves or another person in them. And that was a fandom show, right? We're talking about gaming fandom, but at the end of the day, each person is able to say like the same thing with friends. Oh, I know a Joey. I know, you know, that's what, that's are good characters, right? You want, that's, I think the heart of any show that a fan is going to be a fan of, like you have the, that kind of character, Character ensemble of characters you can relate to and characters you can be friends with. So you know, you go ahead, sorry, Kendall. Felicia, did you not to uh, unless you want to keep going down this road, Phil? I just no, want no, to no, no, go. Kind yeah, of pivot yeah, to this movie. Yeah, did yeah, you yeah. Add, Are you a Star Trek fan at all? Do you have any history with Star Trek? I do. I think I'm. Yes, I am a Star Trek fan. I was totally obsessed with Next Generation when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Sure, I was in love with Picard. We were going to have Who British wasn't? babies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also liked uh, his second in command, which made it awkward when I was directed by Jonathan Frakes when I did an episode of Librarians. He's I worked with Jonathan Frakes too. He's a lovely he's, man. He is very charming. He oozes yeah. charm. Yeah. He's an oozer in a good way. So, yes, I'm a big Star Trek. I was not an original Star it does, Trek. Fan. It does. It does feel like this movie, and J.J. Abrams has been pretty open about his love of this film. You can see this film having an impact on his Star Trek films for sure, um, just in terms of the kind of the winkiness and, and certainly the humor that exists within his his version of, of Star Trek. I, I certainly felt that. I also would say aesthetically as well, it felt like it had a lot of similarities. I don't know if you guys did as well. Um, I didn't really like his films, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't I like love them. They were okay. fine. Okay. I like the first one. I like the first, first one. was okay. But I do think that, you know, I should <laughs> lay it all out. I Star Trek, it's not that I don't like Star Trek. It's just that it didn't pierce my bubble when I was a child. Right. So uh speaking as someone who did not necessarily have the have the specificity of reference when I watched this movie, the things that I got were the things you were talking about earlier, like Felicia, like I got the life of the actor, the way actors are viewed. 
I love the idea that the commander within the, you know, world becomes the commander within. That happens all the fucking time <laughs> where the guy it's, it, it's it's the most surreal thing where the guy who plays the police captain becomes the leader of the group where the guy who plays the principal becomes the leader of the group that makes no sense but that's people just <laughs> these, these are it's like it's as silly as saying like it's as silly as saying like uh like like um david schwimmer and courtney cox couldn't date because they're brother and sister well, well they 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 could i think <laughs> you know i'm pretty sure Dexter. Yeah. Pretty sure Dexter married his sister in real life, but that was so weird, right? Yeah, and uh, Peter Croce is dating Lauren Graham. They were oh, brother and sister on Parenthood. Oh, nightmare. You know? Gross. But, but, <laughs> but it is that – so so I loved I loved stuff like that in terms of the metatextuality. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't – honestly, for me, it just works as a, as a sci-fi film, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it's that's – and I watched it last night. So I, I hadn't seen this movie in at least 15 years, so I didn't remember a lot of it. I watched the last night with my son, and when uh, Tony Shalhoub comes in at the end and shoots them up, he looks at me, and he's riveted by this movie. I, I was very nervous. He's riveted. He looks at me and goes, that's how this movie ends? <laughs> and, he, and he grabbed my hand. He's eight. He grabbed my hand, and then it killed everybody. And I'm like, you have to remember the Omega 13. They can go back 13 seconds. You have to. Like, it's not going to end like this. So it's a, to me, there's like, there are very strong science fiction narrative elements going on in this movie that actually are effective. And the way, you know, they find their midpoint turn with them, you know, with, with him having to acknowledge that he wasn't really a captain. It's, 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 it's a really rock solid, flawless, like flawlessly structured movie aside from like the winky stuff, which works. And it's very funny, but. That's that's not front and center, and that's something I just love about this movie. No, I fully, fully agree. I mean, I, I think that this movie has a lot of heart and emotion in it, and you know, the the the, the first scene, the scene at the beginning when they're at the convention, and Tim Allen overhears those kids shit talking the show and him and how big of like, which apparently, so legend says, William Shatner had a similar situation where he overheard some people talking poorly of him and the show and what have you. Um, But you can see how much it hurts him and how much pride he has baked into this character and into this show. Mm -hmm. So for him to have to acknowledge that it's all an act when the circumstances are real, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really beautiful movie. Like it's, it's, it, it, it it really works. Got a little It's very character based and every character is served in a sense. And like, I think because it's, it's so driven by character, like all the story points. I feel like yeah. now, I mean, a lot of movies are not like that. It's a bunch of characters going through plot and they don't really feel like friends. And the ending yeah. is spectacular, but I don't care. And I don't remember it five minutes later, right? So I think it really is a testament to what people, what's impactful to people, which is seeing people progress from an A to a B. In a, <laughs> I mean, it seems very simple, but yeah. for some reason, I think a lot of the times things are not as resonant and watching this made me feel like I was in good hands. Yeah. Totally. People people forgot how to make movies. People forgot how to make this kind of movie. And I said that Mm -hmm. to Phil, what I was watching last night was the last movie like this, a a, a very high concept studio film. That's this effective. And you know, it's funny because not, not to shit on one particular movie, but I just watched it. I just watched tag with my son because I show him R rated movies because I'm a bad father. (laughs) And Tag uh, is what you're talking about. It's, Which movie? It's, Sorry, Kenny. Oh, tag, tag, tag. Tag is is what you're talking about. It's a bunch of people going Never. through plot um, where the movie tells you they're friends, 
but there's nothing that makes me think these people are friends. No. Um, there's no shared experience. There's no personal history. There's no warmth. There's no comfort. It's just these people who I don't even understand why they'd be in the same room with each other, um, which I guess is part of the movie, but they, they, to play tag, I guess. But uh, I mean, yeah, I get, I, yeah, to me, I'm like, this is the Seth Rogen phenomenon, not to trash anybody like God bless <laughs> I've ever been in that movie, any movie like that. Uh-huh. But there's a type of comedy that is the mainstream and it's a bunch of white dudes being funny. And then they interchange the people of color and the women every movie. And they do movies together for 10, 15 years. And I'm like, I'm tired of it. Like, I well, don't exactly see you and your dudes who smoke pot together every weekend. Let's go make a movie. I got an idea. Let's get another hot blonde chick to play your wife. They're the same every time. They never. They don't have any loyalty to the women around them. They're just, except for um, a couple who happen to be married to people, which is like, that's your security as a, as a job. And like that, that comedy has influenced all mainstream comedy for the last 10 years. And it's boring. It's, it's been lo- it's it's been longer and it is boring, and it's a problem. It's a problem when that be- when when or I think that you know I think forty year old version works really well. I think Noctub works less well, um, and I think that a movie like forty year old version has every right to exist. And a movie like forty year old version, is, and I'm not saying you don't, but a movie like forty year old version, you know, is is correctly held up as you know, kind of a high watermark for for comedy for American comedy. It's frustrating that that's the kind of movie that everyone decided to emulate over and over again. And it's one thing, and it's one thing of Seth, and I think Seth Rogen's even tired of it because now he's making movies like American Pickle, which are closer to Galaxy Quest. Yeah, exactly. But, but it's frustrating when people who aren't those people, basically every white guy between the ages of 20 and 40 in this town, decide this is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you I, forget. I also- Sorry, yeah, you well, you forget that that there's there's more than just a premise. More than forty year old guy can't get laid. More than yeah, there was um, great character in that. That's a character based comedy, and it's yeah. a bunch of executives wanting to hang out with Seth and smoke pot with them. Let's green light it, and then the women are like, "Well, that's what my boss wants, so let's green light that." And then you're like, "Women comedy ghetto," or you're a stoner comedy with the same five dudes over and mm-hmm. over again. And you're totally right; it's a disservice to the audience. And it makes us not excited to go to the movies, to be honest with you. I have not been excited about a comedy in years. Unfortunately, we have television where, you know, where, where exciting things have been happening. Um, not just, you know, not, not just female-led, but POC-led too, right? So you have, I mean, this isn't new, but you have Fleabag and you have Girls and you have Atlanta and you have Raimi and you have all these things that are different. Uh, and are also character based. It's not just enough to say, you know, we're putting we're putting people who look different. Like there's actually like depth and feeling. So, yeah, I think that I I, I think Phil and I are, are are very much on the on the train that modern the modern cinematic experience outside of um outside of spectacle is lacking. Outside of spectacle and and in indie, I would say, and and you know, alter driven indie stuff. Yeah. I would I would also say too, you know, all of this points to how deep the bench is and the cast of this movie as well. I mean, you you this movie is filled out with so many incredible character actors. I mean, your your Sam Rockwells, your Tony Shalhoub's, um, you know, obviously Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily put Tim Allen in that, but he's very good in this movie playing a role that he should be good at, which is sort of a puffed up chest kind of person. But 
But I, I just, I was watching this film yesterday and I, I tweeted this yesterday too, but like Tony Shalhoub should be in everything. He is just- Oh my God, he's so good. And I did an episode of Monk. He's the oh, nicest yeah? person oh, you have great. ever met in your whole entire life. It was, he's, so he's incredible. That just the first look he does when the camera zooms in on him, I'm like, he needs an yeah, award just for that look in his eye. That is good acting. I wanted just, more of that. I wanted more of 1982 yeah. Shalhoub. <laughs> There's just moments where he says nothing and he's funny, where he's just eating out of the, the cheese, out of that little cheese snack thing in the ship as they're, as they're going down to the planet. And just the glee on his, like, he just seems like it's all just a blast for him. You know, just, just even lines like, the ship's falling apart. Just FYI. <laughs> just like, you, know, you know what I love about that that performance so much is I've seen so many things with, you know, quote unquote, like the washed up actor, you know, who's bitter mm-hmm. or who's vain or who's, you know, angry or whatever. I've never actually met those people. I've met a lot of washed up actors who are just super fucking nice and super fucking happy that they had their shot and super fucking happy that they can go to a convention and make good money. Like I, you know, I've met so, you know, you work in TV, you see these people all the time. They're all fucking just cool. You're just like, you won't believe how cool that guy is. You won't believe how cool that guy is. And I, I sleep to like the, 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 the marriage of actor and role, because I think you go either one of two ways. You hire someone who's a lot broader for a role like that usually mm-hmm. or you high or, or you change the characterization of that and make them more bitter um but they they really really nailed that like archetype which i've never it's seen. also i mean this is this was i mean I, I would argue this was a star making performance from sam rockwell this felt like the movie that kind of put him on so the good and he's fantastic in it he almost turned it down apparently because he wanted to do an indie film but of all people, Kevin Spacey is the one who convinced him to do it. We wow. Just, we just won't talk about that. But I'll just say that in this movie, Sam Rockwell <laughs> is so funny and so just perfectly tuned to the role. He's the He's plucky gleeful. comic relief. He's gleeful. Yeah. And I've seen him. I went to Sundance every year for many years up until like 2007 or whatever. And like he was in like four movies every time. Sure. And I was like, I I forgot that Sam Rockwell was funny and had this amazing like – sprightly quality about him it was so good also rain wilson is in one scene yeah, yeah, in a yeah. limo and he never comes back i'm like did he get fired was he just limo <laughs> number three? what happened baby rain know, wilson what happened him? did he get rid of yeah i don't know uh, yeah, sam, yeah, Rock- I mean, sam rockwell's tr- just tremendous in this movie He's so funny remember he was also in midsummer's night dream this year that's right. He was. And he did a great job briefly. in that too. Yeah. yeah. Well, not yeah. briefly because he, you know, he was in the, he was in the the Pyramus yeah. Mathisby performance. Pyramus, yeah. So mm-hmm. he was so he was so great in that. I mean, he's he's. I I don't think modern Sam Rockwell. I think my, people think of modern Sam Rockwell and they think you know three billboards and a guy who plays a very specific type of yep. blue collar ish character. But he is so, he is so much depth. He's so funny. He's well, so and much. like. And in the next year, he's in Charlie's Angels as you know the the villain in the, the in villain, the, yeah. in that one, which I think he does quite well because you kind of don't expect it from him. Um, he's he yeah, I mean he's he's fantastic. I mean this is one of those movies that you know obviously I did a little bit of reading on its on its gestation a little bit. It was supposed to be directed by uh, Harold Ramis, and he wanted it to be um, Steve Martin 
or uh, I'm sorry, he first wanted Alec Baldwin to play the Tim Allen role, which makes sense. Uh, but he yeah. turned it down. Then he wanted Steve Martin or Kevin Klein, neither of which feel totally right for me. Then um, then Tim Allen attaches, and that's when Ramis leaves the film. Um, and yeah, when, when Tim Allen comes, you got to go. and then dean pariso comes on and obviously uh he directs the film um sorgorny weaver she had to convince him to 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 give her the role because obviously you know this is not this is this is a little bit outside sorgorny weaver's lane she's phenomenal in it but i can understand why someone might be like blonde buxom starlet like it's not necessarily her lane would you i'm so glad that they oh she's great because she actually has if they had just gone with a blonde bimbo 1999 actress, then it would have been a disappointment because then mm-hmm. that's all she is, right? And she has so many layers to her yep. just in her presence. So she is that character. She it was so, it was just so perfect. And I forgot about that with her breasts hanging out all the time and I'm <laughs> oh, yeah. like But thank God they didn't go that porky's direction. They just went she's yep. sexy as all hell and then she mm-hmm. has so much behind it it's such a better such a better decision. i would i would also say too the the age thing was right like yeah. my fear is that that and i don't mean this to sound bad and maybe it will but like heather graham feels like the person that they would have put in that role necessarily yeah, like yeah, someone yeah. who's who's you know very beautiful and and can kind of play that role that kind of ditzy blonde whatever role and is 15 years too young to be with tim allen whereas at least these two felt age appropriate and she's amazing in the role i mean she's fantastic yeah no absolutely she also there, apparently went to, oh what what dish <laughs> dish phil this is you <laughs> i was just gonna say that and it's just a it's a funny piece of trivia yeah, I know. There's such a funny piece of trivia that I appreciated, which is that according to Sigourney Weaver, Tim Allen was bugging her to sign a piece of the Nostromo, the ship from from the Alien films, because he's a huge Alien fan. When she she eventually did at the end, and she wrote "Stolen by Tim Allen, loves Sigourney Weaver," and it really pissed him off because she ruined his piece of memorabilia. Which I think is great. <laughs> Tim Allen is, you know, an interesting guy. Um, mm-hmm. Tim Allen is an interesting guy. I there's it's I, I I it's hard to kind of wrap my head around the Tim Allen experience. You know, I um I I'll tell the story very briefly. Please, please. Ooh, so ooh dish. I, it's a, it's I a great story. It's 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 so I was I was at a <laughs> a little New Year's Day party for my dad's friend, and at this party of all people is Tim Allen. And Tim Allen is, you know, like just standing in the corner, glass, like sunglasses on, hanging out with the, you know, the, the tray of food. And I, I'm texting Phil. I'm like, Tim Allen is here. Should we try to get him on the podcast? And Phil's like, yes, 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 of course. And I'm like, well, you know, that's better said than done. I was joking mostly. So, <laughs> so I didn't really have the guts to do anything. So the first thing I did was I took my little eight-year-olds over, eight-year-old twins. And I uh, and I knew I can get in there by saying, you know, they're they're Santa Claus fans, and he was wonderful with them. He's like, guys, guys, turn around, because they didn't know who he was. He like, turn around, and he goes to infinity and beyond, That's and they great. immediately, yeah, it was great. So they immediately <laughs> were like, oh my god, it's Buzz Lightyear. They turn around, Santa Claus, yeah, yeah. So then I, I I'm hanging out with my daughter Layla, and I'm like, Layla, would you go and like ask Buzz Lightyear if he would be on my podcast? And she's like, sure, why not? <laughs> what? So, <laughs> this is all real. So my daughter goes up to Tim Allen 
And she asks, will you be on my dad's podcast? And he's like, well, what's the podcast? She's like, his podcast, like it's 1999. They talk about the movies in 99 from here at a New Year's Day party. And he goes, well, he, he goes, um, yeah, sure. So she comes back with Tim Allen's office phone number and says, wow. and says and yeah. And, 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 and he's, he gives me like a thumbs up. And then I never had the guts to call. <laughs> you never well, you're you're, you're going to call him, Kenny. We're going to make this happen. But I, I have it. I have was it on my, I, this was this was this New Year's. So this was right before COVID. You, this, you're almost so, you're almost from outside the, the issue, the, the time limit. You got to get in on this. I got he's a lovely man. I so I've heard very bad things about him, but he's a lovely man. And, <laughs> and yeah. We, and we yeah. did drop and we and we did talk a little about Galaxy Quest. And the one thing he said was. It's his favorite movie he ever did. Uh, they talk all the time. Apparently, the 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 cast are all very good friends. He says, and um, when they were on set, they knew it was, uh, uh, or they believed it was a masterpiece. They believed that they were doing something really special while it was happening, which made me feel good because you know I I always and Felicia, you could talk to this obviously as a person who's been in films and movies and shows. I always am concerned that something that seems silly on the page and seems silly when you're in wardrobe and seems silly when you're in makeup. Uh, how do you, how do you convince yourself that something that, you know, where you have to wear an Alan Rickman, like, you know, head prosthetic is not a joke on you and not the kind of thing you're going to be made fun of in your, you know, in, in, on a late night show. And it actually is something that can turn into, you know, an iconic performance, which I would say like, this is one of Alan Rickman's like, yeah, four or five most iconic performances. He's incredible. Yeah, I mean, listen, you work because you need health insurance, and you like what yeah. you do. I mean, <laughs> like we all, we could probably all be making. I don't know if we'll be making more money. We'd probably make the equivalent. Most actors, at least, um, doing something else. So if it becomes a grind, listen, I've had some our show guest stars I've taken because boy, oh boy, I need that you know that health insurance, and like mm-hmm. you're just hating every moment, and I. But then I've had amazing experiences where I'm friends with the whole cast, like Buffy, Supernatural. Like I'll talk to those people forever, right? So, or the the, the stuff that I've made, I, I have friendships forever. So the weird thing about movies is it can be a grind and awful, or it could be like incredibly fulfilling. And that's why we're here. It's almost like one day, you know, you can do five bad jobs. You're like, I know the next one around the corner is going to make me feel awesome about my life choices. And so, you know, you just have to have faith that if you're having fun and you feel activated and you're doing the best work you can and you're like enjoying yourself, then you're doing a good job. And it didn't feel like anybody here was not just loving going to rehearsal, loving mm-hmm. doing take 17 or whatever. Uh, but that said, I heard that the people who are on the set of Cats really thought they were making a masterpiece. So I, you know, and that... <laughs> Might be the worst thing I've ever seen in my life in a good way. Like I want to see the butthole cut yeah, in in such a bad way that I'm like, who can hook me up? So at the same time, yeah, you never know. That that movie is hypnotizing in the the strangest way. It really is. Yeah. Who could watch it and be like, this is like, I'm I'm just like you. It's almost like being in some kind of weird Trump bubble in like (laughs) – Although I wish I – I wish I could have been there in the moment when Tom Hooper realizes, like, I've made a terrible mistake. Like, I just wish I could have been there in that moment where he's like, oh, God, there's when no way out. that like, was? Oh, the I first previous? Half, half, yeah, it must be the previous, right? 
I don't know. It could have been on set. It could have been day one. I, I'm not even kidding. It could have been on set. It could have been like, uh, I don't know about this. All right, sorry, I've already spent, I've already spent eighty million dollars. I have to spend another one hundred and twenty to get where I need to get. Oh, what a nightmare! I I do not I do not I do not subscribe. And Phil knows this. I do not subscribe to the cats is cute thing at all. Like I hate it with the theory of a, of, of a billion sons. I think it's such like the thing that bothers me about like the cult of cats. And I understand it's all ironic is like, this doesn't deserve irony. This is the most cynical fucking play of all time. And it deserves, it deserves to go down in a, in a heaping flame of cat hair. He- Here, here's the thing. You can't fault any of the actors. Cause an actor, no, I, I would have loved being on the no. set. Like you're an actor and you're used to doing crazy thing on stage. You're like, oh my yeah. God, I get to do crazy ass stuff on a movie. This is a revolution. I feel fulfilled as an artist for the first time in my life. I'm singing, you know, I'm dancing. We're appreciating, we're showing people beautiful dancing for once. And then just, but yeah, you're right. Like, why were they so small on the railroad tracks? That's the one that I just <laughs> oh, don't understand. The scale, the scale just changed all the time. I will say this though. Uh, I remember when they announced, when they announced that they were doing it, in my head, I was like, well, this is going to be terrible. Like, this is a bad idea. You shouldn't do this, right? Like, well, the, be- the, the, the best it. version is terrible. It's bad, right. But then I was like, when the trailer came out and I watched the trailer, I was like, it's so much worse than I ever could have possibly imagined. Made it so much better for yeah. me. Because I was just like, this isn't just a failure. This is just an unmitigated disaster. Yeah. And everyone looks insane. It's like a fever dream of just, I just, I don't know. What other movie of this proportion could you say, oh my God, about? Like, really? What other movie? <laughs> is, is that a rhetorical quotes. question? Yeah, like Space Jam. Like, what is the, what is like something you're just like, what? whoa. Space well, no, amazing. something that's so crazy. <laughs> something that, whoa, space Jam. <laughs> Wait, Space Jam just getting thrown out there is like that's the that, before Cats it was Space Jam. We all shit. Well, no, no, on. but I but think I, I'm. I don't, I don't <laughs> speak for Felicia, they, but I think you know what she means. Cats, you know who's happy? Cats is here, Michael Jordan, yeah. because he's so tired of getting shit all over. <laughs> space but my, Jam. I think what Felicia was getting at, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I think that, and I is that the leap of technology and what they were trying to do, which is, I think, more akin to like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit, maybe than to Space Jam. But like, this could be a disaster and not work at all. Mm -hmm. And these two things might not speak to each other. Oh, I got the answers. Okay. Oh, you don't know. I got one. I got one. one. Polar Express. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. Yes. Abomination. All right. So. I was going to say the, the Zemeckis, exactly. I was going to say that and Beowulf and the uh, fucking... Oh, oh Beowulf, Christmas I forgot Carol. about Beowulf. And Christmas oh. Carol. Beowulf is the oh. craziest because... Beowulf is the craziest. It's crazy. Like, it's at crazy. least Polar Express and Christmas Travel built an audience yeah. who are going to see it no matter what, like, lazy parents who are just trying to, like, get some peace <laughs> for two hours. Who the fuck is going to watch Beowulf? <laughs> Creeps who want to see, like, half-naked monster Angelina Jolie... Motion oh. cap? Okay. So I do have a I, – I, 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 yes, I think you're totally right. I think um, I think Polar Express was the – that. And by the way, I, I don't think we were on camera when you said that Phil looks a little bit like Sid from Yeah, you're looking like Toy Sid Story, from Toy Story a little bit but, right now. But trying to render humans in the 90s yeah. in was not CG yeah. was kind of that yeah. too. Where oh, it was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. go away. Well, there, there's a couple of video games track. like it, there's L.A. Noir, which is one of a, a really va- great video game. Yeah, I remember. But that. unfortunately, um, 
unfortunately it, it just doesn't work, you know, just technologically it did, it was not good. And that's kind of where I feel maybe that kind of lies. But I would say with cats, the difference between cats and space Jam yeah. and Roger rabbit and yeah. even, uh, even the Zemeckis okay. stuff, which is closer to me is, yeah. uh, they could have done better. Like this mm-hmm. wasn't really a failing of the technology as much as it was a failing of like, Oh my god! How'd you get that? Pic- how'd you get that picture of Furby behind you? I look better than that kid. Your your, your teeth are Felicia better. Just put Sid as as uh, as her background. Yeah. I mean, all right. I mean, um, can I? I, I will, to, your, to your point, Kenny, because yes. I agree with you. I want to yeah. say this. I think that what happened because I I read some stuff about the production of Cats, obviously, um, and that at a certain point, Universal like close the purse strings like they were like we're not giving you any more money to do this stuff so some of the close-ups the fur isn't on their faces at all because quite frankly they just couldn't afford to do it there's just stuff that they just at a certain point were like fuck it like it's erase, good enough erase the buttholes and put it out <laughs> erase the <laughs> buttholes and get it out into the yeah, yeah. the masses are I, dying for it i'll never forget the moment where you think it's over i'm like i you get to memories and you're like, oh, she ruined yeah. the one yeah. reason I want to watch this movie. Why is there so much snot? Just rein it in. That's the only reason to watch this movie is Why that is there song. So much and then you go so farther. Much and then you're just like, then you're like, okay, this is over finally. They cut to Judy Dench wearing another cat and she does a 12 minute monologue to the camera with a straight to lens. Smile. Straight you down straight the barrel to- of the lens, who are just like 20 minutes of, of cat Judy Dench just talking right at me. I've never you, almost rage quit a movie. I almost walked out. I was so angry. I was like, how dare you? I did, in fact, walk out of Cats. Oh, um, when, at what point? At what point, though? Uh, with his kids. I went with my kids. Oh, my, no. daughter was, my daughter was very excited. And to this day, they keep they, they keep telling me, like, why did you do that to me? Why did you put me through that? Oh, no. I said two, three days ago, I said to my daughter, have you ever seen a bad movie? She goes, yeah, Cats. So, wow. We, so we we walked out like halfway through, right around when like uh, Ian McKellen was uh, lapping at a bowl of milk at like chin level, like that. She, I think they're like, no, enough, enough. But I did catch, <laughs> I did catch like the last monologue a couple nights ago at like you know twelve o'clock on HBO or something. So I can really, it's awful. But like, <laughs> I also would say, yeah. I kind of. I'm, I'm going to contradict myself, but like, you're right, Phil. It is mesmerizing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the little puns that they, all the little cat puns that they have, it's, it's awful and the worst thing you'll ever see in your life and mesmerizing in its weirdness. To I want to say, I feel yes, like sorry, I wish they had just filmed it on stage. Like, then. <laughs> Then just just put a bunch of cameras up there, get some close ups, maybe do some matte paintings behind a couple of people. Like that's it. And like yeah. put them in the furry leotards, like they yes. were on the goddamn stage, and yes. just own it. I, I own agree with that you. 100%. This is a stage thing. Other than that, or have them be real CGI Pixar cats. That's what I would have done. So two two quick things, and then we'll talk about Galaxy Quest. But two quick things. The first is I watched a little bit of it on HBO Max the other day, just because I was like, oh, I mean, and and it opens in such a like almost cats. Kubrickian cats, like it almost feels like Clockwork Orange, like mm-hmm. the lighting and the music. It's very unsettling. Like it starts from a very unsettling place. Sexually, is, it's very unsettling through the whole thing. Well, there's that too because they're you know. all rubbing each yeah. other's groins against each other through most of the movie. That's yeah. crazy. I don't like yeah. seeing dogs hump people's legs. <laughs> it's one of the most repulsive things I've ever done. That's the the, the sensation. 
that I get when I see a small dog humping a person's leg and then somebody's like, oh, they're so randy. I'm like, disgusting. I don't want to see it. That's what. That's the emotion I felt for two hours when I watched that movie. So I went to see it. Uh, They did a, uh, at the Alamo, they did a rowdy screening of it so you could talk through Mm -hmm. it, which was, I ultimately believe, the only way that that film should be seen in a theater. And they had, the drinks were all milk-based drinks in cat dishes that you would drink out of. Like it was, they they really went all out. But the best part, or one of the best parts was, the moment you mentioned, Kenny, where Ian McKellen laps milk out of a dish, Someone in the audience screamed, what a fucking pro. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to give a synopsis of Galaxy Quest for our listeners who might not have seen the film. I want to say one more thing. Uh, The stars of a 1970s sci-fi show. I want to say one more thing. Felicia, the way way you feel about dogs humping legs is the way I feel about mixed milk-based drinks. Milk is disgusting disgusting to me <laughs> if you can see it so it, it's like i can't even like the idea that you have a whole movie where all the characters have to drink milk oh my God. is so gross to me i will tell you something the one thing that makes me not love my daughter a little bit is when she drinks used cereal milk she drinks it with such oh, yeah, relish, the, yeah, and it end. makes me... Oh, it's the best bleh, part. Bleh, bleh, we're, we're done here. That's bleh, the end of this podcast. I would rather see somebody podcast, lick some snot. I'm, oh, me too. No question. I will not podcast with a, with a cereal milk drinker. I can't, oh. believe, I can't believe you mind it. Ladies and gentlemen, he mind it. <laughs> I'm awesome. Anyway. anyway He's I'm a two-hander. Stop. I'm going to <laughs> don't don't get Kenny started on cheese either, Felicia. Hates cheese. What oh, you, you have a lactose issue, huh? Well, I can like eat anything. I, I like ice cream. I won't drink. I won't. I won't eat it once it's uh, once it's once no, it's melted. Oh God, eating melted ice cream. My daughter the, does that. I'm like, oh, I love you, but right now it's hard. Yeah. Wait, that's no. the. I don't oh. understand. You're crazy, Phil. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening right now. I I eating ice cream for me is a race. Because if it actually starts melting, it's done. I will throw 100%, it out. 100%. I'm, I'm on your side. Yeah, I do love you. cheese, but I'm 100% on your side. Can I ask? I okay. I, and I have a question since we're, I guess we're talking about this. But here's – so do you – what about cream-based soups? No, oh, not well, I have a I have a texture Rubicon Valley akin to Beowulf when you're between a smoothie <laughs> and sort of a instant potato kind of uh-huh. like a texture. That yeah. is when I will vomit onto you. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Me like too. a vicious squaw, a yeah. uh, so like a cream of mushroom soup. Cream of mushroom rather soup die. Needs to be, it needs to be way watery. It needs what about to be, like leek have... leek or potato <laughs> soup? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this this episode definitely holds the record of dry heaving on on uh, <laughs> on Mike. I think. Also, Hi. also, how happy I am! This is the happiest I've ever been. <laughs> Nobody agrees with my crazy shit, but like, this is just, this is human nature. You shouldn't be eating this disgusting gruel. It's like, no. this is what Oliver, this is what Oliver Twist is about. How food <laughs> of that texture is not fit for human consumption. Literally, no. that's it. If that's I have to, di- if it's either me or cream of <sighs> wheat of dying, I'll probably just, bye. That's how I feel. 
I'm not even kidding. That's how I feel. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give the synopsis of Galaxy Quest. Uh, the stars of a 1970s sci-fi show now scraping a living through reruns and sci-fi conventions are beamed aboard an alien spacecraft. Believing the cast's heroic on-screen dramas are historical documents of real-life adventures, the band of aliens turn to the ailing celebrities for help in their quest to overcome the oppressive regime of their solar system. The movie was written by David Howard and Robert Gordon and directed by Dean Pariseau. It opened on December 24th, 1999 in fourth place against The Talented Mr. Ripley, Any Given Sunday, and The Green Mile. It would go on to make $90 million on a $45 million budget. Uh, Galaxy Quest has 90% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 79% from audiences. Um, so when you saw this film, Felicia, uh, whenever mm-hmm. that might very well have been, did, mm-hmm. you, did you like it back then? Did it leave an impression on you back then? I mean, what was... I thought it was funny. I love comedy. I'm not an actor because I want to get cry and get an Oscar. You know, sure. like I, you I've could. had to cry a lot in my. I could, but that's not. What, I mean, mm-hmm. I love making people laugh. Now, at the time, I was told that I was a dramatic actress. It wasn't until mm-hmm. I moved to LA and did improv that I was like, oh, I could do comedy. Even though every single thing I ever loved, from like Family Ties to like every sitcom um, in the world, was my favorite. Right, so. I think that comedy and comedy movie, you know, movies that were comedies were really important to me. At the time, I was not like a fan person, you know, like I make part of my living doing conventions and like it's been a huge part of my career and my life and I love them so much. So revisiting this, because I, I didn't, I said this, saw this movie before all, all this happened in my career and it's been a long time. So like seeing it now, I'm like, oh, this is really a love love letter and it's very respectful and it's not needing to deconstruct this and it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not marginalizing fandom in a way that I thought, oh, this is really cool. It's really before its time in a way. Yeah, I, you know, I mentioned, I texted Kenny this, but um, it, it really is a valentine to the fans. It's a valentine to Star Trek. It's clearly a love letter. The people that made this love this world. It's not sarcastic. It's not, um, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, the heart of this movie, I think that if this movie was made today and, Lord knows if this film would even be made today, quite honestly. No. I feel wouldn't. like it would be jaded. I feel like it would be sarcastic. I feel like it wouldn't have the sort of just wearing its heart on its sleeve that this film has. It wouldn't um, be kind. There's there's a, there's a lack of kindness, and I'm sure that some of the people would have, like, c- yeah. crazy weird kinks. One would be a furry. There'd be some humping. You know, like, it <laughs> yeah. would it Your would have to thing. be – Exactly. Dry, a dog dry humping another <laughs> dog person? You oh, read gosh. alien of some sort. Older. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dog yeah. alien. Yeah. yeah. So it would it would have to it would be in the tone that would be much more jaded and much more like edgy, which mm-hmm. everything doesn't need to be edgy without being sacred. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like there isn't just one tonality, and I feel like everything's in a category uh, comedy wise now. It's just kind of sad. Well, well Kenny, you- I, I actually. What I was going to say is that if in the yeah. spectrum of the comedies that we got in 99, you know, we have Being John Malkovich, we have Election, but we also have Big Daddy. We also have South Park. Like the, the spectrum of it is pretty broad, but I think this film falls squarely in the middle of all of that in the best possible way. But I don't know what you think. It's the best. It's, it's, the, it's, it's, the, it's the platonic ideal of a studio comedy. And what I, what I mean is so the, the word edgy gets thrown around a lot. Uh, and I think edgy is often used, like executive speak, as a stand-in for for cool. And I think all anyone really mm-hmm. wants in this business is to be cool, um, for the most part. It's it's just and, and and I don't necessarily even think that's a bad thing, right? Like that that in and of itself isn't bad because the word cool doesn't have a negative connotation or any kind of connotation um, other than you know it's just kind of confident. 
And if you really break that down, the coolest thing you can do is make a good movie, right? <laughs> Straight up. The coolest thing you can do is make a good movie. There is nothing inherently cool about Pixar. Pixar is inherently very uncool. You know, like it's inherently about emotions. It's generally about family. It's about relationships. It's about adventure growing up and being scared of getting over it. All these things, feelingy things that aren't cool. But what's cool is making a really good movie. So what I love about Galaxy Quest is. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It avoids all the obvious targets, right? Like making fun of quote unquote nerds and fanboys and things like that, or even making fun of the aliens, who would be a very obvious target because they're, you know. They're ultimately they they have just lost a big battle and they're kind of socially awkward and all these things. They don't pick on any of the any of those things. They pick on the coolest people in the room. They pick on the people who are, you know, full of themselves, people who, who have been successful, the people who are vain. And it, it doesn't sacrifice any of it doesn't sacrifice any of the humor. Like, I guess something that kind of struck me, and it's always struck me about this movie, is this strikes me as a movie. That when critics went into it, they probably didn't want to like it. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. they, yeah, that's sure. interesting. Yeah, they probably were like Tim Allen, uh, a Tim Allen movie. Period. That's a strike against it. Sigourney Weaver, in a, <laughs> Sigourney Weaver in a broad comedy. Probably not something they were feeling in 1999. Um, Star Wars. Alan Rickman in a broad comedy. Like, Alan, what's that? I mean, with that yeah. ridiculous, with that ridiculous yeah. head thing. Um, Star Wars, not particularly cool in the culture at that point. By not, no one was talking about Star Wars in 1999, right? Well, so Star Trek. Sorry, excuse me, Star Trek in 1999. No one was talking about Star Trek in 1999. Uh, and they were kind of like, you know, pointing, pointing a gun directly where a lot of these critics live, which is a lot of these critics were fans of Gene Roddenberry and that show. And they probably sure. went in saying like, this might be a shot directly at me. Mm-hmm. So to to overcome all that and have ninety percent of Rotten Tomatoes and become kind of a, a critical darling at something that's endured through our culture is kind of remarkable to me. The only way to do it is just have a really fucking strong film. Well, and I <clears throat> I would also say too, and I, I kind of I want to get obviously all your opinions on on the the tone that they're striking in this is really tricky. I mean, they are really trying to thread a needle in terms of. Like the effects and the makeup and the production design are all in this space of being a little cheesy, but also sort of state of the art at times. All the makeup of the aliens, the evil aliens and their ship, that stuff looks incredible. But like the ship, like the bridge of of their ship 
kind of looks like shit. Like mm-hmm. they, they try to find this balance of being able to thread that stuff. And I think the movie that came to mind as I was watching it was Men in Black, which oh, yeah. also kind of is, is a little bit more state of the arty and it's trying to be cooler because it's Will Smith and he's cool and all that. But like this movie is, is trying to have fun in a sandbox where it doesn't, to your mm. point, Kenny, it's, it's making fun of the right people. It's keeping that tone afloat. And there were apparently earlier cuts of this film that were that got an R rating, um, where I think there might nice. have been more of the things that you were referring to, Felicia, of of you know alien dogs, alien dogs humping, and and apparently there was like a a, a doctor on board, and all of his stuff was basically cut because it was all a bunch of like proctology jokes and like oh, no. probing <laughs> jokes and like things that were just sort of like a little bit more blue and a little bit sort of like we don't and and I think. You know, whether or not Dean Pariso might have been a little bit pissed off about losing some fucks and shits and what have you in order to get the PG rating, the film is better off for it. I didn't sure, yeah. I didn't need any mm. of that stuff in this movie. I don't know if, how you guys felt about it. No, when I feel like funny? it's a very <laughs> <laughs> I love I love a good butthole joke. No I mean that's that's I'm known yeah. for my butthole joke. So yeah. and you I want the butthole sure. cut, obviously. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah. I think when you're talking about cool it's a very interesting thing because I think that word kind of goes back to what I think is endemically pr- problematic and has institutionalized white male privilege in this um, in this industry is that they're in power and they want to be cool with their friends. They want to show up to parties and say, oh, you made that cool comedy, that edgy comedy. Um, and so that tonality becomes it's a social phenomenon, but also a creative phenomenon in that those are the people in power picking the people who get to make things right. And kindness is not cool to those dudes. Mm -hmm. So when, and that's why women increasingly get shoved into lower, you know, they go to indie films, they go to animation, you know, children's animation is, you know, so it's a very hierarchical thing where you can see people who are not white males being stacked up into the lower prestige, lower cool areas of entertainment and uh, that, I think, is inherently a problem. And and you can't change that unless you have people in power who their cool is something different than that cool. And I don't think that's going to happen within my lifetime, but hopefully, you know, it's changing for the better. Um, and 100%, I think the kindness and the PG-ness of it actually make it so much more appealing because yep. you can just relax and be like, this is something we can all enjoy together. And it didn't feel lame for it, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, like Kenny, you watched it with your you watched it with your son, right? And and I know mm-hmm. you show him R rated movies anyway, but Some but I do think that because you're you're a cool dad, you're like the yeah, coolest dad. You're the cool dad. Yeah, I'm the cool yeah. dad. That's right. Um, That's but I brand. but but didn't you feel a little bit? And I don't know how you feel about this yes. one, as a parent watching it, but did you feel a little more at ease? Were you able to just yes. kind of like just enjoy the film for what? Yeah, nothing bad. I mean, uh, there to me, I I I have. Um, I, you know, I, I have like a newfound respect for filmmakers who go ahead and make a movie that's that's something you can watch with your kids. Yeah. Um, I think that's great to have those movies. And I think it's great to know that nothing bad is going to happen um, within the context of the movie. I don't think that matters ultimately that much. I think this is a better movie for everybody because of it. I do. Mm-hmm. I think it's just I think it's just a better movie. I think I think that there's something within every viewer knowing that it's not going to do something to you that makes you uncomfortable, no matter what, that puts you at ease. Mm-hmm. I think that's okay. Like I, I like writing for. I'll put it this way: I, I I started on a premium network, and I'm currently on a premium network. And do whatever you want. I think that's terrible. I hate it. 
because I be, be, because people naturally go to places that don't necessarily serve the story and will put the audience ill at ease. Now, of course, there's some shows where, that need to be like that, shows from The Sopranos to Succession to Game of, Game of Thrones. I get that. But I love having the I love having the guardrails up, not just as a writer, but as an audience member. I love knowing that this ride is not going to take me to a place. I mean, just to use Tag as an example, Tag does not have to be R-rated. Tag is yeah. about yeah. grown-ups playing Tag. Okay? But because it's R-rated, I understand that they had a certain thing they wanted to do. They wanted to have adults be adults, so they wanted to say fuck, and they wanted to drink. They wanted to have Jake Johnson be a starter character. I get that. But because of that, they tacked on an entire miscarriage subplot to the third act of this movie. <laughs> and once you have the – right. And once you have the R – Hilarious. It's not a go-to, guys. It's not a go-to. Uh, it's Please. unbelievable. And once you have the R rating on there, you almost feel like you have to do this crazy shit. But it's well, so – it takes you It takes you so far out of the movie. But yeah. I'll tell you right now, like I've produced a lot of uh, animation. I've, I've – you know, I'm a producer on several animated projects. I've pitched so many times with animation. And the t- and my number one feedback is it's not edgy enough or it's not kid enough. And this is actually, uh, you know, that on top of pitching things where there's like, one time I remember pitching this project I love so much. And it was, it's Comedy Central. And the woman executive, when I mentioned the word vampire, she almost looked like I took a shit on the table because she hated geek stuff. They obviously don't think it's cool. And... <laughs> And at the same time, for animation, it's even more striated because you have to be so you have to be able to watch it with an eight-year-old, or you have to have cartoons fucking. So, like, there is no middle ground, which I think is actually that why anime is so popular because anime actually is the middle ground because it's not being made in the states, which I think is I think Netflix is probably you know the best at kind of breaking that barrier. But at the same time, still, it's very segmented into safe, unsafe, and I think that kind of um, colonization is the thing that ruins the opportunity to make something like this again. I mean, I think that, you know, I don't, I don't, I certainly don't want to speak for you guys, but I know that when you sit down to write something, generally speaking, you don't put guardrails on yourself. You know, you want, you want to just write it, see what comes and you'll figure it out. You can, you know, pull yourself back or cut things, what have you. Um, Something happened in this film, which I think is really interesting, which is in the, I guess they shot it even perhaps which is that at the end of the film, when the spaceship crashes into the convention center, right? I remember thinking to myself, like, I feel like that would probably kill some people. Like, that looked really dangerous. <laughs> like, I remember thinking that. Yeah. And then reading that they shot a version of it where a couple people got decapitated by various things coming out of the, out of the ship. And I'm just like, that's just misreading the tone of this movie, right? Like, that's yeah. just thinking, I well, let's just go for that. Like, let's go for the crazy. Like, I'm sure that they're is a version of that where there's an audience for that, but like, you don't need it. Like you just have to know where those, you know, where the needle is for the film. And I I think they ultimately found it. Uh, By the way, that's a pretty interesting little tidbit to me because there's clearly a version of this movie. That's like Peter Jackson, pre Lord of the Rings, right? That is wild, right? (laughs) Like, there, there, there's so many you know when you bring aliens into the equation anything yeah. can happen when you're spoofing on star trek anything can happen and you know there's very few movies uh from 1999 i like more than south park so i'm certainly not afraid to enjoy a movie that, that, that roasts all the sacred cows but just because you can doesn't mean you should right <laughs> 
Just, and I think there, I really strongly do think there's more artistry in doing it without the, the crutch of let's cut some heads off. Let's kill some people here. Let's, you know, let's have a doctor who does anal probes because that's what you expect out of, <laughs> out of, uh, aliens. And I, I, I think that, yeah. I think what they found was something really artistic ultimately. Yeah. I it's think we're so good. There's sorry, not yeah. one one line that's wasted. There's not one character that isn't served. It's just, and it is kind. Like there's not one nerd that you're like, oh, look at that stupid nerd. You're relating to every character, even one liner people. And I think that's really sweet and something that you again you feel safe as an audience member. You're not being laughed at. You are laughing with it. How about the sweetest I, moment of the whole movie being when Tim Allen tells Mathisar, tells Enrico Colantoni that. He is the captain of this ship. He is the commander of this of this group. This guy, how did you find I mean, he's my favorite actor anyway, but how did you find a character in he's that so good. in Mathisar? That how did you Mathisar. find that? Oh yeah, Mathisar, I mean, it it is again, talk and, and I'm sure you can speak to this uh better than we can, Felicia, but like that's a real tone thing, right? Like that tips into caricature and falls apart if you're not absolutely locked into the character, the way he laughs, the way he cries, like all of this stuff is so close to being too much. You know, can you speak to that? Yeah, sort but of what I, that was no, like I mean, it was, I read on, when I was watching this on Amazon prime and mm-hmm. they have those little x-ray things. And it was like, yeah. that was done on set. The way he talked was not actually in the script. He came up with that and they were like, Oh, all the aliens should talk like that. And I thought that oh, was really incredible. fascinating incredible. because as an actor, it's so hard to, um, make a bold choice like that and not just fall flat in your face. And yeah. that's why actors have to be a little crazy. Cause it's like, I'm just going <laughs> to do something crazy right now. And hopefully you like it. Yeah. Um, and you're not encouraged to do that in general because you're kind of on rails, just do what you need to do and get through it. Um, so the fact that he brought that and I don't, I can't imagine him speaking normally, quote unquote, <laughs> like a, a human being and having it be as funny. And yeah, they're like SNL characters, but like, because the writing serves them so well, mm-hmm. you actually feel super, excited that Tony Shalhoub and, you know, what's her face get together at the end and like, uh, Missy Pyle. Yeah. Missy yeah. Pyle. Um, so yeah. I just, I loved it and it is really a class. I can't wait to show it to my daughter when she's eight and doesn't watch our rated movies. <laughs> <laughs> just don't, don't run out like I did. I ran out. Um, too early. Uh, so I just want to <laughs> quickly. Um, I just want to quickly, we've, we've hit on a bunch of the plot, but just sort of the big moments of essentially, you know, the film opening in the convention center, which I love because you're seeing these actors that are just worn thin. They don't want to be doing this shit anymore. There's that amazing moment when Alan Rickman puts the trench coat over his head and tries to run out of there. (laughs) Like there's stuff like that. That's great. Um, I, I, you know, ultimately, you know, the conceit of the film is that, you know, uh, Tim Allen is approached by these aliens at this convention. He thinks they're just fans or you know have created some sort of thing um they teleport him to this spaceship he thinks it's all a bit he fires some missiles at a real alien spaceship and thinks that all is well uh they teleport him back to earth he's obviously shaken by this crazy weird teleportation device he goes to the rest of his cast and says you need to come with me um and then the entire cast is teleported up there. This is also one of my favorite uh, Tony Shalhoub moments when he gets teleported in and he goes, that was a hell of a thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's also great. He, he made, well, he also misses the, he misses all like the, the reveals there, right? He doesn't realize that they're like aliens who actually have these, you know, kind of yeah. men in blacky and bodies under. So he, it, 
when he gets together with Missy Pyle, he has no idea he's getting together with with a you know a, a, so good yeah That's, like like, like is... an octopus person. So I just want to quickly say, just to pause for a quick second and say, I saw this film in '99 at a theater uh, at midnight with two friends. We knew nothing about this film. We were bored one night and we were like, "What is this movie?" It was at a multiplex in Toronto. We sat down, really knowing nothing, and just howled through the entire fucking thing. But the moment that really killed us is the moment that you just mentioned, Kenny, where uh, Tony Shalhoub is kissing Missy Pyle, and then all of her tentacles start to come from from under the <laughs> under the frame. He's then pulled <laughs> down, and just Sam Rockwell going, "Oh no, that's not right." Like, just, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, it's just those jokes, which are I don't know, like they're throwaways. Yeah, but the, the throwaways are gold in this movie. I just I, unbelievable. Also, how long is this movie? It's like an hour and a half, right? Like an hour forty. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. You know it'd, what I'm be, it'd be it'd be two hours and twenty minutes if it came out. Today. It'd be two hours and twenty oh, minutes now, and like I'm yeah. tired. That it's just tiring. <laughs> it's just yeah. be a movie or be a TV show. I I don't you know it's 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 movies yeah. are out of control right now. They've lost their what what they should be. I don't know if you're gonna watch a comedy, it's just kind of. It's a disintegration of format in a way, but totally. also this one made me admire it because it was so tight. It mm-hmm. was so concise, but also beautifully crafted and they got it done. They didn't yeah. keep everybody's cute improv at the end of the scene. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh my God, it's so funny. You know, just cut it. Okay. Well, it's funny because I'm, so I'm watching the AFI 100 with some friends every Saturday night as a pandemic thing on Zoom. And the thing that's hit us the most as we've been watching these films is they know when they're done. They get the fuck out when they're done. Like the story's over. Credits. Yeah. Like there's so much padding on movies today. So part of it is, is, is Tempolitis and, and needing these set pieces that they spend 20, 30, $50 million on some crazy video game esque action sequence that they can't pull from the movie now because it's too expensive so it all just becomes just far too long but but mm-hmm. yeah get out the movie's done they got to the get convention out. center it's over like move on yeah. Yeah. we don't and then they satisfied every character mm-hmm. every single character had a great emotional arc within mm-hmm. one hour and 40 minutes it's just god bless the, them they, they also guy's bit which is that he's afraid that he's the red shirt that's going to die is one of the best runners because at one point he says, I wasn't even supposed to be here. I'm the sixth crew member. I'm clearly expendable. And then when they're, <laughs> when they're flying down to the spit to the rock plan and he's like, I changed my mind. I want to go back at first. I thought I was going to be the guy who dies on the ship back on the ship. But now I think I'm the guy who's going to die on the planet. Like it's just, it's great stuff. I yeah, actually, I think they could have done even more with that. I it, it's that is so funny and so rich, but that I mean, Felice is making this point. I just want to kind of double down on it. It's not that hard to establish emotional depth for your secondary characters. It's not that hard <laughs> to start them here, have them learn something, have them conquer their fear, and have them end up here. Like you yep. see it with Daryl Mitchell's character in the beginning, he's faking how. That's such a good bit. He's faking how to <laughs> how, how to drive the ship, and he's he's crashing against the wall. I mean, that's brilliant. <laughs> and then he learns how to do it at the it's end. Yeah, um, it's so funny. It's so funny, and he's so great in that too. You know, I mean, like he. Dar- I mean, Daryl Mitchell is like. In a ton of shit when we were growing up, and you know he had a really bad accident, and he uh, he's now paralyzed from the waist down. But he's been in—I think he's been in every uh, season of NCIS New Orleans, and he's had shows built around him. And he's a big advocate. And I think this is kind of important. He's a big advocate for actually ca- casting 
differently abled people as people in those roles. Oh, amazing. Um, and it's, it, it, he, he, it's, it's interesting because he had a big career before. So he keeps getting cast in those roles, but so many people, you know, so many of those roles aren't cast with people who actually have the, um, the illness or have the disability that, that's, you know, portrayed in the show. So I think he's, you know, I, I think he's become like kind of a, a, like, like an important actor, an important person in this town as one of the foremost, uh, differently abled people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you mentioned one of the one of his best bits is he as they're trying to leave the station, he's scraping the ship along the side of the so and good. it goes on for so long. It's 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 great stuff. Um, they get to the rock planet, they see these cute aliens, and then the, all the you know, aliens turn on one of the weaker ones and eats it. But you just one thing, you know why it's such a great moment mm. because it hints at what these actors. Mm-hmm. Are capable of destroying. It really get it. It, it, it really, <laughs> in a tactile way, gets you to understand what's at stake here. Okay, we didn't blow up the ship here because we were in a controlled environment. <laughs> yeah. But if you let these idiots in charge of anything that can blow up, or yeah. any uh, anything yeah. that could blow someone else up, we were fucked. <laughs> I love it as a moment. It's great. I it's great. Love it. Yeah. It's also, I mean, I think that when the when those little aliens turn on the other one and eat it, it's also a moment when they realize that their lives are actually physically in danger. I mean, you then have Sigourney Weaver saying, quick, we have to go before one of those things eats Guy, which I think is great. Because- <laughs> <laughs> and that is great. But like, it's just, and then we have sort of this, to your point, Kenny, and this is why like the script is so tight. It's that it's slowly but surely becoming more and more severe right like the stakes are growing as the movie is progressing right like at first they think it's a bit and then it's like oh wait a second and then they realize that everything is hinging on their performances from the show so like tony shalhoub now has to teleport someone based on hand movements he did based on (laughs) nothing back when he did the television show Right. So it's like all of a sudden this this phoned in performance that existed back, you know, however many years earlier is now a life or death situation. Like that's the genius of this movie. It really it's almost like I I mean, I don't know what kind of research, but it's like you have to be inside the fan's head, the the fan of the show's head. You need to be on set on one of these shows where people are (laughs) bitching that they like half the actors who do this stuff, especially the information dump. I'm always hired as the girl who knows all the technical issues and I do like (laughs) monologues of technical stuff. I specialize in that. I'm really good at memorizing that stuff. But like how many times I've been on set where um, how many times I've been on set where basically people do not know their lines at all because they keep going up on these things. So every act, there's a lot of actors on these ten, these show where the mumbo jumbo comes in. They're like, (laughs) (laughs) and so it requires kind of an inside look, I think on being on a set too. So I think it's just brilliant on so many levels. It really and, and on top of all of it, it's incredibly funny. Like we have the moment where Tony Shalhoub transports this alien creature onto the holodeck, but it's inside out and then it explodes. <laughs> 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 and there's this so now you're just like, well, what are the chances that this is gonna work? And then, you know, obviously he has to teleport Tim Allen. And you have this again speaks to the emotion, which is that Tim Allen's like, I trust you, I have faith in you, I know you can do this. Like this is the stuff that, you know, it's it's layered and it's going for so much more than another movie, which would just kind of, you know, these are easy jokes, I guess, to some degree. Yeah. 
Um, the then other, you have the, the scene. Thing, where, yeah, sorry. The other thing I really just, this is more of a general point, but just another thing that I, lo I love about this that you're speaking to is I think it's important when you're, when you come up with a premise to find a stories, B stories, C stories, runners, everything that can only be told within the premise and the world yeah. that you have built. These yeah. are not things, these, these things we're talking about, they don't work anywhere else, but they mm -hmm. work so perfectly here. You could only tell the stories you're talking about, Felicia, in a movie like this and yeah. in a movie specifically like this because you couldn't have a you couldn't have a believable world where aliens rebuilt the exact ship. It makes sense to them because they don't have any concept of our movies and TV. They just think they're historical documents. They just think these are actually your Earth's heroes. And it, it, it's it's so internally consistent that I love it so I love it so much in terms of like everything within the story makes sense within this story, um, and I, I yeah I, I I'm like well I think it's, a lot of the times it's like yeah. when you have a high concept kind of twist on something it tends to I know you know it, it tends to get very plot heavy right yeah. and so I think because everything started from okay we have this twist what would these characters actually have experienced and bring to this movie versus like what do we want them to go through that's and i think that was my problem with star trek i didn't mean to i mean jj abrams is fucking amazing <laughs> but like for me the start the, the 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 modern star trek movies are very much like well they're not not as based at much a character it's all very much you know it's that sort of hollywood character you have the main dude who has a problem and then everyone's kind of serving him and yeah. you have sort of like Oh yeah, let's take care of let's give them something, but it's not organic and you don't invest in them. You're invested in the spectacle of it versus what Star Trek was to me and is to me is characters relating to each other, being family with problems, right? And that's not what the modern Star Trek movies are. They're wonderful and they're fun to watch, even though all the extras are white, if you notice, and all the men in authority extras are, are white men. Yeah. All the people in authority are white men extras. Watch yeah. it. Um, but you know. And there are issues. There are issues for me that Star Trek is not spectacle to me. It is character, right. and I think mm -hmm. that's where Galaxy Quest got it so right. And Star Trek is a different beast. I, well, I fully I, agree, and yeah, I would also I, say too that that the concept that you're speaking of, like a high concept thing like this, I think today would have to answer all sorts of rules and questions, and it would get bogged down in explaining itself all the time. Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. movie understands quite simply, like this is this is the premise there, and and then you're off to the races and you don't really need to explain anything anymore. The rules and the rules are answered. The rules are answered. Yeah. The rules are answered in context. The rules are answered by people actually having to do things and then understanding that it's going to work this way or that way. Yeah. You don't have to have someone come out and say, these are the six things you have to understand about the world, which by the way, I don't even hate when it does happen. I don't hate clarity. I'm yeah. totally down with clarity, but yeah. that's, you know, that's kind of a lesser form of storytelling. I think what you were talking to um, Felicia that really, really speaks to why this movie is so brilliant. All right, you take these characters, you put them in a situation that's completely beyond their control, a situation that has been, they're essentially mercenaries in a war between two other, two other entities, right? Mm -hmm. And they're living in a, a simulation almost controlled by one of them. Yet the entire story is driven by the decisions of our characters. It's all driven by people we care about. And that is the, like, that is the, the genius. And it's, that's what's so instructive about this movie from a writing and a filmmaking, um, from a writing filmmaking standpoint. It's, it's, 
Yes, things can happen to a character. Yes, characters can react. But when you're getting into the meat of the narrative, you have to have the people you care about driving the story and making decisions. I would also say, too, to that point, to piggyback on what both of you are saying, is that the jokes also help tell the rules of the universe. I mean, you have that great moment when they're, like, talking about Gilligan's Island and Mathis is like, those poor souls. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, right there, you're like, well, it's not just this show. They think all television shows are historical it's documents. Right. And, yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Well, it's also, like, I think, I don't know if you guys, I fantasize a lot about time traveling and realize how mm-hmm. shitty it would be because I love reading history more than anything. <laughs> uh-huh. But it would, as a woman, like, don't do it. It's a terrible <laughs> sure. idea. Sure, sure. But um, I'm always like, wow, would it be, well, who would be? And I'm like, oh, a time, travel show, uh, a time travel show or a book is so fun. What would be the best person to time travel back? And you're like, okay, Bear Gryllis would probably be a good one. But would sure. you want to see a person who played a cave person in a bad <laughs> play? Like, that's more fun. That's the comedy thing. Sure. Or you do a drama of Bear Gryllis going back to like caveman times. <laughs> yeah. Which, I, which would, yeah, Gryllis. I'd watch that. Yeah. I would, buy, I would watch both of those because I really <laughs> like time travel. Okay. For the record. I love time so, travel. It's the best. It, I, 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 we're basically we're, we're centrally at the end here, uh, but earlier in the film we have the moment when uh, um, Jason bumps into Brandon and they swap communicators. So now at the end of the film, Jason realizes that he has a way to communicate with Brandon, who's played by Justin Long in his first movie role, um, wow. and he's fantastic in it. Um, and now you have sort of and and this kid is now the key to <laughs> to them surviving this entire ordeal. Um, and he walks them through the ship's core and how to sort of what the, what he thinks the Omega 13 is, which is essentially a time travel. Speaking of your, your favorite thing, Felicia, a time travel device. Quantum leap. Why is there not a redo? That's a very good question. Oh, I, well, <laughs> it does I, make any sense. I have questions about that. You but probably we'll, have some. Okay. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I do think that there's, there's sort of this great moment when they're walking through and, 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 and Brandon's like, I can't believe you're actually seeing the Omega 13. Like it must be beautiful. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just a fan. And then they look up and they see this beautiful coil of, 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 I guess, matter, time travel matter of some sort. Um, <clears throat> and then he walks them through this thing. And I, I, I'm curious about your thoughts here, because this is really the only time when they go to this well, and I'm appreciative of it, which is they walk into this room where there's these chompers or these, these fucking giant metal things that are there for no other reason than just because it will look cool on television and it's a good yeah. thing for them to get through. And then Sigourney Weaver screams, she clearly screams, fuck that, but they bleep over it and they, she says, screw that <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And Gwen says, this episode was very badly written. The person who wrote this should die. Love it. <laughs> now, I love that joke. The reason I bring it up is I think in a weaker film, they would have gone to that well a lot more. A lot yeah. more of the like, you know winking at the camera, acknowledging that somebody wrote this television show, acknowledging all those sort of things. And I love that they don't do that. But How I think it's they, that they their journey is appreciating what they have a little bit more. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? All of them, because a lot of them are not wanting to be there, not, you know, don't, don't think highly of what they've done in their career. And having that fan helps show them how awesome it is. What That's almost like a, a, a reversal in a way that I think is really sweet. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. that sort of ref, self-referential stuff is less thank god it's a little bit less like because then you're really getting meta and people don't really i know my my cousin doesn't know how i work they don't understand why i don't work every day they're like well she was she was busy for a couple years what happened you know like (laughs) they don't understand how they're like why does it take so long you know 
Um, so people don't really understand. They don't really care, right? They, they know actors, but they only know them. They don't need to get into the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. Um, so I think that they did, like you said, like, I don't know how as an actor you trim all these different layers and then make perfection without like going off in one direction that's too much. And maybe it, maybe it was in the script and they narrowed it down. It was just masterful editing. In a way. Well, I would I, will, I would also say too that you know Kenny and I and I, I don't know how you feel about the movie Scream, Felicia. I don't know if you're a fan or not a fan I, of that movie. I like I like I don't watch a lot of scary movies. I enjoyed right. it, but Neither I remember I. seeing it and I think I went in the t- the theater at the time. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is fun. It's like funny, yeah. scary because I don't like horror films. It's but I think like there's that. a version of this movie that's as much of a commentary yeah. on Star Trek. Yes, and yes, all yes, of that. yes. And and I don't necessarily think that movie's bad. But I'm just glad they didn't. It's very go. self-aware. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. It's, but it's, it's yeah. Sorry, yeah. Go ahead, I think Penny. no. I think uh, I, I think that Scream is what Scream should be, and Galaxy Quest is what Galaxy Quest yeah. could be. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a good satire or a good spoof functions also as a good version of the thing that it's satire and spoofing. Yeah, I would go so far as to say I think Scary Movie fun- functions as a good horror movie in its own That's way. a good movie. I'm sorry. It's fun. I had <laughs> I fun. think it is. I think it is. And I think it has an interesting kind of fun twist ending. Like they, they, they put thought in beyond like what would be the silliest thing to happen. So mm-hmm. I think that it would be weird uh, to me at least if Star Trek was dealt with the way Scream is dealt with. Um but I also love the Justin Long twist on it because I think that that is a is wish fulfillment in its own way. Yeah, yeah. When exactly. You're really, He's the fanboy. Yeah, and when you're really on the inside of these fandoms, it stops actually being about enjoying the piece of art or the you know the serialization or the serialized thing that's happening, and it starts being about writing fan fiction in your head or writing mm-hmm. fan fiction actually. In real life, and the dream is to be up inside of it the way he was at the end of this movie. The fact yep. that he thinks it's real, like, or that 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 I that I think is a little misunderstanding of what we're of what fans yep. feel, but to mm-hmm. actually be able to affect the narrative, that's yep. a fucking dream. So I think that's yep. really, really cool. Yeah, and they did yeah, it. I mean, in a and, way and essentially they, they, they they're, they're like able to crash the plane into yes, sorry. Sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, no. I'm just saying they, they crashed. The, yeah, I know everything they did with that character was empathetic and not mm-hmm. feeling, oh, it's a, oh, it's a nerd. They have posters in their well and they're <laughs> over 20, you know, like that kind of thing, which mm-hmm. is so, you know, for me, I've tried to sell many, many pro. I've just, I don't pitch TV anymore as a writer because I'm just like, I'm done. I can't be rejected anymore. But so many times I try to pitch female characters who are fans of things, right? And I'll get really close and then I'm like, I, I really think they they truly don't understand that there's a huge uh, contingent out there who would love to see themselves in a movie like that. And yet I think especially when mainstream Hollywood looks at fans, they look at an other to be either exploited or kind of no. made fun of sure. um, in a way from, from a Big Bang perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly treating Justin Long's character like a Big Bang character would have taken the heart away from this movie. And I really appreciate that about it. Well, sometimes I, I, it's hard. Uh, I think, for, sorry, you know, go ahead. Sometimes it's hard to think for Hollywood to, to <clears throat> lose sight of its, or, or to distance itself from its roots, right? The roots mm-hmm. of Hollywood are it's, it's, it's carnivals and it's things like that. And the, uh, the, the, Audience are marks. The audience are rubes. The audience are morons who buy into this shit and who are willing yep. to spend money on your fakery. Um, what's happened over the last 100, 120 years is those rubes and marks and morons 
became the ones who are actually writing the stuff and the ones who are actually in the stuff and the ones who are actually directing and producing the stuff. And the people who we find so detestable are the people who forget that they were once, you know, the consumers of these products. They were once Justin Long and they were, you know, like that. Uh, The people who now look down their nose at fans, it's insane to me. You know, and I've said this many times on on this podcast, all we're doing is writing stories for the people who actually like our shit. That's all you're doing. To look down your nose, the people who actually like your shit and paying you for it, you're a you're a monster. You're an idiot. Yeah, you're a monster. I think oh. there's two there's two Justin Long moments uh, that I just wanted to highlight really quickly. The first is when he first gets contacted by Jason on the communicator, and and Brandon's like, uh, and Jason says, "I'm sorry if I was curt with you earlier." And Brandon's like, "It's okay. I mean, I get it. I'm not an idiot. Like, I know it's not real." And he's like, "Actually, it's all real." He's like, I knew it. Like, I, think <laughs> I like that. <laughs> great about that exchange. I also love that right in the middle of when the shit's hitting the fan, it cuts to him taking the garbage out because his mom forced him so to take good. the garbage. Out. <laughs> and it's just like it's just really sweet. Like it's funny and yeah. it's sweet. It's just it's it's really good. I, I also think that it's worth highlighting here. You know, in some of my reading, this was obviously a DreamWorks movie, and I think that Spielberg for took an interest in this script or an interest in this project. And you do sense that unlike something like Shrek, which is so jaded and so snarky about everything, you could you could sense Spielberg's fingerprints on this a little bit in terms of all of that sort of stuff, of the big heartedness of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so basically the, the ship crashes into the convention center. Uh, they, they all, they all come out of the ship and the fans think that this is all part of the show. They incinerate the bad guy, um, Perfect. with, with a Love ray gun, it. which is great. Um, and, and, and Jason obviously pulls the whole cast onto the sort of to the front of the stage with him and ha- you, you recognize sort of the family component of it. And, and then we get this sort of promo for the, the sequel to the movies or the show that would go on in the future. And, and Sam Rockwell has a ridiculous character name. Um, so and good. it's great. So good. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really great. And, you know, I, I did a bit of reading. The film was, I, a, a I got choked six- up. I got you when, when Sam Rockwell gets the end, you get choked up. It's, yeah, great. it's awesome. It's yeah, it's great. Um, I did a little bit of reading and, you know, I think a, a few years ago there was an announcement and it might still be uh, that Paul Shear is doing an Amazon TV show I based on that. I saw that. It was a couple years ago, so I don't know if that's I don't know if still... that's happening. Um, they I talked... will say that the most yeah. depressing thing to do, guys, as an actor, is to watch <laughs> Amazon Prime with that X-ray thing and look at all the day players in every single one of these movies around 99, 2000, whatever <laughs> – and you click on their IMDb and every – okay, maybe two or three break out. Most of them have a, a clearly a commercial headshot on there. Mm-hmm. And they're still sticking around, but they have not worked since 2002. It is so depressing. It's real grim. I, I suggest grim. you not watch things with the x-ray thing on. I know, but I can't say. I was like, where are they now? Why? Oh, she had one line. Where is she now? I'm like, oh, no, she did it. at Law & Order guest star in 2007, and that's it. I'm like, oh, no. Don't put yourself that through me. that. Yeah. When you start will, doing when you start doing <laughs> when you start doing it with like the executive story editors on the shows you like, then you know you've really oh. gone too far. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a director. I, I actually worked with a director earlier in my yeah. career and he hasn't worked in yeah. uh, fifteen years and I was like, thank God. <laughs> 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 but rarely, rarely that happened. Um 
So at the end of our episodes, uh, Felicia, we do a rating system where we rate the film from zero to 99, zero being uh, the lowest, 99 being the highest. Uh, We Mm -hmm. rate it from back in 99, then we rate it before we did this podcast, and then we rate it after the podcast if the podcast changed your opinion in one way or another. I know it's a lot of numbers. I'll go first. what? Okay, you go first. Yeah, okay, okay, do it, do it. It's very simple. Yep. In 99, as I mentioned, I saw this at midnight with a group of friends, and it was one of my favorite movie-going experiences ever. I probably would have given it a 90 back then, maybe even a 92. Like, I loved it. Um, And the film has really honestly only grown in my esteem. I think I'm at, like, a 94 now, maybe even a 95. Like, I think it's it's my favorite comedy of of 99. And I know that being John Malkovich and Election are probably considered comedies, um, but they're obviously much more, not to say that Galaxy Quest isn't, but like pure laughs, pure comedy. Like this is, this is my, this is my favorite comedy of 99, I think. Um, Kenny, do you want to go? Sure. Uh, I don't think I saw this in 99, but I saw this pretty soon after, probably like uh, 02, 03. I always thought it was great, a great movie to like kind of put on. Mm-hmm. Um, I never would have put given it anything like, like uh, I'm about to give it. So I think it was probably around 77, 78. I thought it was just good. Um, yeah. I loved watching it last night. I loved watching it with my kid. The only thing I would say is I think the second act is a little uh, slow. And I do think that you do kind of lose focus a little bit. Um, not that much. First act so strong. Third act so strong. Character so strong. Um, I'm going to give it a 91 uh, I'm going to keep at a 91. Um, it is not my favorite comedy of the year. It's not Office Space to me. But um, it's still, it's it's a tremendous movie. 91's very good. Yep. I don't Alicia? have any context to rate anything, all right? <laughs> but I will say <laughs> that I think I watched this before I was involved in geeky productions and I had my career. I probably watched it when I was more into like dark or indie films. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, Little Miss Sunshine. Like, I was a more of an indie film kind of girl. Sure. And so I think that I probably love this more, way more now than I would have when I first saw it in, like, 2002 or three, three on, like, DVD or VHS. Not VHS. <laughs> not all that. I'm not that old. I look I mean, very good I for am. my age, too. Um, yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> you look great for an elf that's wearing for a hat. Elf. And you got a little yeah, That's right. Yeah. So anyway, I would give this, this is probably one of my top 10 comedies. I'm see for me, 1999 is okay. I'm a 1939 gal. So sure. if you ever do another series, I think 1939. Oh, we're, we're is doing, like, we're, we're doing Patreons. You, we're on you 80. Do that. We're doing 89 on Patreon right now. And in fact, oh, nice. it's coming up very soon. But uh, if we keep going back on the nines, we'll get you back here from Wuthering Heights. <laughs> oh, Weathering Heights. Uh, Wizard of Oz. We'll get you back here for Wizard of Oz. I mean, Nanachka, right? Garbo travels. Now I'm going to look. Oh, my God. Pushback of Notre Dame. Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Yep. The women of my year. You do know the women didn't have a single male character. Every single character in the women was in the women was a woman. That's great. Oh, that's interesting. Everyone. Never really thought about that. Yeah, there's so many. Oh, Gugadin? This is Dark uh, Victory. Jeez, very, there's very, a lot of good movies. Those are two problematic movies right there. So next week, we are covering The Iron Giant. We have uh, Emily Vanderwerf <gasps> and Libby Hill coming up. That's on one it. of my favorite movies ever. What are your thoughts on The Iron Giant? This is a, this was, that was a I've window for you. I've never cried harder. Never cried harder than in that movie. Really? No. 
that movie. But I, I cried in Babe, Pig in the City. Like if that's my I love go-to. Babe, Pig in the City. On, on, if I'm on set and I need to cry, I will listen to Babe, Pig in the City, that song, James Cromwell. Oh. I met James Cromwell oh. once. I shook his hand and I started weeping openly. <laughs> I am not exaggerating. What, and he looked at me do? like, he did not think it was appropriate. <laughs> I, wish I don't believe you. I, I think he probably thought it was just fine. He looked at me very strangely, guys. It was, it was not, not a common a, a reaction. Did you give him context, not. or did he I just said, think I just, you were weeping? I just weeping. really love Babe, but I was like, he was like, I thought I was, I was meeting a professional. Like, oh, you're a professional. <laughs> um, so, so, but the Iron Giant, Felicia. Uh, what is it that you love about the Iron Giant? As we wrap this up, I mean, it has such. It's the most heartfelt. I, I can't deal with anthropomorphic people, like creatures pass, you know, like I don't want to mm-hmm. spoil anything, but <laughs> when they're in, when they're in peril, sure that is the most heart-wrenching movie. I'm not kidding. That and the only time I've ever cried more was, remember that, and this is a really terrible thing to admit, but I went with my mom to, remember that Michael Keaton movie Life? Yes, sure, with Nicole uh, Kidman? Yeah. Just um, like a total manipulative piece of shit movie. I cried so movie, hard. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. He just dies of cancer and has a baby. Like, it's just the stu- – like, why? And I've never yeah, cried harder than in those two movies. Iron Giant. You know what a good – you know what a good anthropomorphic machine man thing in peril movie is? Terminator 2? No. No one really acknowledges it. Um, but I love it. Have you guys seen Big Hero 6? Yeah, oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. It is I didn't cry, so- but yeah, it's good beautiful in its own way and i i i think it i i I see like a direct line from iron giant to big hero six sure so felicia do you cry a lot at movies no judgment i'm just curious as to whether no i don't like crying i don't like crying on camera i have to be paid a lot of money to cry on camera and i don't like showing emotion (laughs) it's you know i've been to a lot of therapy it's a little bit better now no um i uh I don't like crying and I don't okay. like watching tear jerky things. I want to okay. watch either baking shows or comedies or genre shows that I can binge. You know what I'm saying? So that's fair. I don't have the that's highest fair. class taste, but I, I'm excited. I will listen to your Iron Giant because I was, that is a that's seminal fantastic. Work. Thank I you. was a crying child. I was a, like one of those children oh, really? who cried uh, <laughs> like as part of his personality until I was about 12 or 13. And mm-hmm. I no longer can cry. And it's horrible. It's like, <gasps> Was it something that people did to you because you were a crier? You labeled yourself because you're already labeling yourself. I think that's what happened. I think I, I think at <gasps> some point I resolved to never cry again. And it's like, I, or it's like Trump, where Trump says, you know, you only have a certain amount of energy in your life, so don't exercise. I only, maybe you only have a certain maybe <laughs> wow, only have a certain amount of tears in your them all. Maybe you only have a certain yeah. amount of tears in your life, and they're gone. Mm-hmm. But it's very. I, 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 I love honest, crying, guys. and it's very hard for me to cry. I I. I cry fair, fairly you know, often, certainly in a pandemic, I'm going to be honest. And a good cry, oh. guys, it's a great release, I got to tell you. No, it's yeah. true. Good. I can't cry right now. No, I can't. Yeah. I don't know if it's something about I've been shut down. I sneeze. COVID, I, yeah. I get pl- plenty of sneezes. <laughs> so I'm, um, I'm well, good. Well, Felicia, thank you so, so much for coming on to talk about Galaxy Quest with us. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. You guys were so fun. It was uh, a blast. I appreciate it, was awesome. it. It was a blast to rewatch this movie, and I can't wait to show it to my baby, like I said, when she's a little bit older. Uh, and we hope that you'll come back for something else maybe in the future. I'll shoot you some stuff yeah. maybe. And, and, Let me know. But, uh, but come back for so, an 89er. So for 89. 89. 39. Whatever it is. In 30 years, you guys are going to get back there. We're going to do 39. <laughs> we'll get there. But thank you. Thank you again. 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 